favored here in the book of Jonah. Was this a good work, a great work? Was, uh, was it a work worthwhile? Well, I'll tell you, if there was three to four generations that escaped the judgment of God, it was a good work. It was a great work. So let's read Jonah chapter 3. The Lord had spoke to the fish in chapter 2, and Jonah was vomited out upon the dry land. Chapter 3, the Bible said the word came into Jonah the second time. Arise, go to Nineveh. Isn't that something that he had his orders in chapter 1? Went to the bottom of the ocean, out of the belly of hell he cried for mercy, and God still has to say go. You know, I don't know what all you could say about Jonah, but he is certainly a reluctant prophet, isn't he? Though he's God's prophet, go arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid you. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a great and exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came into the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloths and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and of his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hand. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. What a wonderful, wonderful Scripture that God allowed them to hear a word. A a wicked, and you know, I I believe Steve mentions uh, over at Kennersville, that group of people that was mentioned, how wicked that they were. Nineveh ranks right up there with that same kind of wickedness, this people had a reputation for skinning people alive, for cutting people open, for doing any and all kind of evil and torture to those that they caught. And it wasn't necessarily that they were catching people that were in opposition to them. That was just the wickedness that was in them. That was Nineveh. And God said, I want you to go down and preach to Nineveh. Isn't that wonderful that God would consider and preach to Nineveh? 
a wicked, and by the Word of God, he said in chapter number 1, a great city, for their wickedness is come up before me. Go preach in chapter 3, the preaching. Go to that great city. And Nineveh was a great and exceeding city. Uh, History says about seven and a half miles on the inside of the walls that it took to walk around it. A great city. By what we can see out of the Scripture, probably a city of uh, probably 600,000 plus people that lived in it. And God sent them a word. Though a wicked city, an ungodly city, a city with no mercy, a city that had no regard for God, but yet it looks as though that this city and even the king himself believed the word of God and believed that it was possible that God would repent of what he said. So let's read. Jonah entered in, verse number 4, entered into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. God could have just destroyed Nineveh, couldn't He? You know, we look at this Scripture, and, and I've said this myself. I said Jonah's message had no mercy in it. But it does. It's the first word. Yet. That word means a continuance. God said, I'm going to destroy this place in 40 days. Yet, 40 days. The word again means continuance. You think about what that word means Maybe in our court system. So there's an opportunity for maybe the defendant to get their witnesses lined up. Maybe for the prosecution to get their witnesses lined up. Maybe to gather more information. Maybe to find out more of the facts. Maybe an opportunity that that if this person could actually be innocent, that there could be more gathered together to prove their innocence. There's a continuance. The word yet means a continuance. So I believe without any shadow of a doubt, I've been wrong to say that there was no mercy in Jonah's message. Because God said, you tell him yet, 40 days and I'm going to destroy this place. You know what we know today? We know this. We know the day that I die, judgment is coming. The day that I die, if I'm unsaved, I'm going to be destroyed by God. Yet, I don't know what day that will be. Yet, today could be the day. Today could be the day of salvation. Today is my day of continuance. Today is my day that God has afforded me an opportunity, afforded me an opportunity that my life could be changed, that your life could be changed. There's mercy even in this message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed or overthrown. In that little word, yet, is the mercy and the grace of God. 
in that little word yet, 40 days, is an opportunity for the people in Nineveh for their life to be changed, for their actions and, and the way that they're doing for that to be changed. And you know, the Word of God says this, so what as thinking about a revival? And I believe there was a great revival here. I mean, there's a revival uh, from the from the king himself all the way, and I tell you, it's such a serious situation that the king said, "I want you to put sackcloth on your beast. I don't want you to let him eat or drink. I want God to know that we're serious and we believe what He said." <coughs> <coughs> So they believed God's what the Word said. How did they believe God? They had to believe God through the message of Jonah. There's no other way to believe God but through the message that Jonah brings, right? So you might say, well, I can believe God. Well, how will you believe? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Jonah had a word from God. You know, I don't see any other message that he had. This is the only message that he had. Yet, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. (laughs) Yet, 40 days. I'm going to delay. You know something? I don't know how long the delay is, but I know this. At the end of 40 days, if there's not a change... And you might say, well, God doesn't say that. He doesn't, does He? But He said, yet. We're going to read in this Scripture that God repented. (coughs) That does not mean that God changed His mind in the sense that man thinks about it. God is going to change His actions according to the change of man's actions and man's attitude. God never changes His mind. What we're reading is we're reading it in the sense from a humanistic standpoint we look at it and the writers and the interpreters said God changed His mind. That's from our view that we can understand it. But let's see what brought that about. And we'll, we'll deal with that more in a little bit. But listen to what the Word of God said. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Through the message that Jonah brought, they believed God and proclaimed a fast. You know, we read this in the book of Zechariah. We read this a a few days ago. He says, Therefore saith unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. You reckon that's what the people of Nineveh are thinking? Are they thinking, If I turn to God... Is it possible that God would turn to me? If we repent of our evil, if we turn away our evil and our ungodliness and our wickedness, is it possible that God would turn away from His wrath? 
Is that possible? Yeah, I, I, I would like for you to consider this over and over again. If God wanted to destroy Nineveh, He could have done it without a message. He could have done it with no Jonah. He could have done it with no yet. He could have said 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. But He put a yet in there. He put a continuance in there. He put grace in there. He put a delay in there. He put an opportunity for us to believe the Word of God in there. I know this, that it's appointed unto men once to die. But you know what we have now? Yet I'm living. Yet you're living. Yet we're here today. Yet God is sending a message. Yet it looks as though it's impossible. It looks as though it's hopeless. Yet we have a word from God. Yet God has given us a continuous. Yet God has sent a message. If God wanted to destroy Nineveh, He could have destroyed them and never gave them a warning. I remind you of this in the book of Matthew. God said about Sodom and Gomorrah, if He had given them the opportunity, they would have repented. You have an opportunity that many people have never had. I have an opportunity that many people have never had. We have an opportunity because of the grace and the mercy of God, yet we live. Judgment is coming, yet we live. Judgment is coming, yet 40 days... 40 days, an opportunity uh, to repent, an uh, opportunity uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, come in sackcloth and ashes, an opportunity to believe God, an opportunity uh, to see if I would turn away from my wickedness, if the judgment and the wrath of God might be turned away from me. What a wonderful opportunity that God has given a wicked city and given a wicked man, and given a wicked nation, and given a wicked people in this world that we live in. So the people believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So there's no one. I don't believe that there is anyone who is excluded from this fast and from this sackcloth. Joel says in the book of Joel chapter number 2 and verse number 12. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all of your heart and with fasting, with weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garment, and turn you unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of good kindness and repenteth Him of the evil." Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? You know something, folks? This same God that we read about in the New Testament that says repent and believe the Gospel, uh, the same God that we read in Joel that says repent and believe the Word of God, that same God must be, a uh, friend, the one that even the Ninevites believe is in control. And they think if we get in sackcloth and ashes, if we rend our heart, if there's a genuine turning unto God, it could be that God would turn to us. 
It could be that God would turn away from wrath. It could be that God could change the circumstance. It could be that God would make a difference. I tell you today, folks, our friend, if I have revival, you have revival. Our country, our nation, our world, our church today, it'll be because we believe in the God that is merciful, of a God that is gracious, but a God that says yet. A God that said, I'm going to destroy yet. What's the response? What was the response of Josiah when he heard the Word of God? What's the response of the people of Nineveh when they hear the Word of God? Is that not what really it revolves around? Does it not really revolve around my response to the Word of God? Is God's hands tied today that He can't do? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, we're talking about a pagan city, a wicked city, a city who skins people alive, a city who has a reputation of wickedness and evil and ungodliness, and a city that God has chosen to send a word to that they might repent and their ways be changed and God would turn away from His wrath. That's the key. And you know, if I wanna if I wanna reject that, who am I hurting? Is it not me? Is it not me? Maybe they hate Jonah. Maybe Jonah hates them. It looks as though he hates them. It looks as though he's reluctant. It looks as though even after they repent that Jonah still hates them. My God, that doesn't change God. The Lord said to in Joel, turn to me. Don't just put on sackcloth and ashes. They did that in Nineveh. And the Bible said God saw can I put on sackcloth and ashes and have no repentance? I can, can I? Can I do that? Is it not true that all through the New Testament that Jesus called them hypocrites? What were they? They were actors. They put on sackcloth and ashes, but there was no rending of the heart. Josiah rent his garment. Did he really rend his heart? He did. I tell you, here is a people, folks, you know, by the world standard, a people that I believe is very much in the mind of a lot of people that is very much like Jonah. We don't think they deserve to be saved. They don't deserve another chance. I ask you, what did you deserve? What did I deserve? What do we deserve today? If I got what I deserved, I'd have lifted my eyes in hell a long time ago. The first time I sinned, if I got what I deserved, the first time now, the first time that I sinned and went against God, and we could even go a little farther, we could even say the first time I sinned willingly, the first time I sinned knowingly, the first time that I sinned and I knew that I was going against word the Word of God, if I'd have got what I deserved, God could have let me lift my eyes in hell. What in the world do we deserve? Amen. 
It all revolves around the response to the Word of God. That's what it revolves around. The Bible said, So the people proclaimed a fast. And according to Joel, he said this, Rend not rend your heart and not your garments. Turn you unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious. Has He changed? Now we're talking about a God who is immutable. A God who cannot change. A God who, uh, the Father of lights, who changeth not, and there is no, there is no variableness in Him. If He, Joel chapter 2 and verse number 13, if He is a gracious God, a merciful God, slow to anger, great kindness, and repenteth Him of the evil, is He not still the same? So the actions of God, again now, God is unchangeable. You know who has to change? I do. Paul prayed three times for God to remove that thorn from the flesh, did he not? Did God change his mind and remove the thorn? Did God change his mind? Did did all that praying change God's mind? It did not change God's mind, but it did change Paul's thinking. It did change Paul. It changed Paul. And when God said, you prayed to me three times about this, I'm not going to remove the thorn, Paul, but I tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to give you grace to endure what you're going through. You know who changed? Paul did. Who's going to change at Nineveh? Is God going to change? No, God's not going to change. I say this to you folks, you can chew on it or spit it out. God knows the results of His own actions. If I lay these glasses down on the floor and stomp them, I know what's going to result from that. My glasses are going to be broke all to pieces. God knows the results of sending a Jonah to Nineveh. But God deals with man in time. There is a required response from you. Now, if you don't think God knows everything, (laughs) and God doesn't know the future, what God, what God do we have? God knows the results of His actions. God knows the results when He sends Jonah. God knew the results when He sent Jonah to start with. He had a, a fish prepared for Jonah, did He not? But God deals with man in time. That fish was prepared. I don't know when, but it was prepared. And when Jonah was thrown overboard by the mariners, he said God did it. There was a great fish prepared by God to swallow Jonah up. There's a message coming to Nineveh. And here is a message for us. How am I going to respond to the message of God? The Word of God said that they proclaimed a fast, and in Joel, in Joel, the fast that he that he claimed, he said this: 
I want you to call. I want you to gather the people. Joel chapter 2, verse 16. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast, and let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber, the bride out of her closet, let the priests, let the ministers of the Lord leap before the weep before the church, before the porch and the altar, and let them space say, Spare thy people, O God, and give not thy heritage to the reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? You know something? Nineveh is going to be able to say they've never ever said it before, but they're going to be able to say that they've got a God who spared them. And let me tell you who's invited and who is commanded to come uh, from the priest, a friend from the high man, from the greatest man, from the king, uh, to the smallest child, to the child that's on the breast, to the bridegroom and to the bride. Everyone is included in this. You're all invited and you're all admonished to come because God is going to destroy this place yet. They proclaimed a fast and it was the real thing. There was no show, no hypocrisy. It was the real thing. And and, and so the people of Nineveh believed God. You know something? If I believe God, there'll be a change. There'll be an action. There'll be a response. If you really believe God, if you're really saved, if you're really born again, if you really repent, if you really believe God, if you're really a child of God, if I really take in the Word of God and it means something to me, I'll tell you what, there'll be something that you can see on the outside. Let me tell you this. A friend, it looked like they put on sackcloth and ashes and they rent their garments and they sat down. But let me tell you, God looked at the heart which you and I could not see. But what we could see was the real thing. God knows my heart. He sure does. And the truth is we don't know our own heart. That's the way that it really is. People like to throw that out as some crutch to stand on. Something to prop up the way that they're acting, the way that they're living, the way that they're doing. God knows my heart. Though my actions are ungodly, though my actions are not in line with what I say, though I'm not living up to, though I'm not doing what the Word of God says, God knows my heart. He sure does. Do you know your heart? The people believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. No one. I tell you, they were affected by this Word of God. Listen to what the Word of God says. For the Word came. The Word came unto the king of Nineveh. And he arose. Look at this man. Here is a man that the Word of God smote. That's what it means. It came to. That it smote him. It touched him. It struck him. The Word of God struck the king of Nineveh. And he arose, isn't that something? From the place of honor. From the place of glory. The king arose. Even the king. You mean even the king needs to repent? Even the king needs to repent. Even the king is a promoter of ungodliness. Even the king is evil. Even the king is wicked. 
But I'll tell you what, even the king was smitten by the Word of God. I want you to know this, you shall not escape the Word of God. You may think that you're going to get by, the king may have thought he would get by, but I'll tell you, the Word of God smote the heart of the king, and the king got down off of his throne, and the king laid off of his robe, and he laid off all of his glory, and all that made him to look so much bigger and better and glorious than everybody else. He came down just like everybody else to the Word of God. Should we come down? You think if we ever have a revival, personally or collectively, will we have to come down? Yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, we'll have to come down. The king left that place of honor, and the Bible said that he, that he rose up. Ain't that something? He arose and came down. He's already about as high as you can get. He arose from off of the throne and came down. I don't know what your hope is in, but I'll say this, by the Word of God, and I believe you could say it about, uh, about Nahum, or not Nahum. The man with the leprosy. What did he have to do? He had to come down, didn't he? Naaman. Naaman. Then went he down. I mean, a great man, a, a, a man of honor, a man of uh, that had a great place with his with his king, a man that uh, was the head of the armed forces. But that man had to come down. And if the king of Nineveh, a wicked, well, I'm not that wicked. Again, I'll just say, if we got what we deserved, there'd be no yet in this. There'd be no yet in this message. There would be no mercy in God's message. Yet, yet in my wickedness, yet in my ungodliness, yet in my failures, God said, I'm going to give you 40 days to repent. I'm going to, in 40 days, I'm going to destroy this place. You know what? I've got a little bitty space of time offering that my actions, my attitude, my thinking, my, my way of doing can be changed. But know this, if there's no change, I want you to know this, the message of God will still stand. God's not going to change. For the word came into the king, and he arose from his throne, and he laid aside his robe. He laid aside his glorious covering, and he covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. You know something? You think he waited till day thirty-nine to do this? I, I I don't believe I don't believe there's any inclination or indication at all. I believe when the Word of God come and it struck him that he laid off of his robe. He laid that robe off. He laid his glory off. And he came down and he humbled himself. And I tell you, I believe he did it immediately. Our friend, he was affected in his heart. He was fearful. Our friend, he was fearful as Josiah was fearful of the Word of God. How the king of Nineveh is fearful of the Word of God. You know what he's going to do? He's going to change. He's coming down. He's humbling. He's not waiting till day 39 to do it either. 
He's doing it when the Word of God smote him, when the Word of God struck him, and the Word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. You know, I don't see. I don't see any delay there. I see that the king, when the Word of God struck him, our friend, I believe he got up then, he laid off of his robe, and friend, he covered himself up with sackcloth, and friend, he went down and sat down in the ash pit, and he said, I want you to know this. I want you to proclaim through out all the land, I'll let everybody, I'll let everybody come down. I'll let everybody come down and plea and cry madly unto God. And He caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let Neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast. You know, I'll tell you something. There's some knowledge here, isn't there? There's some knowledge of their need of repentance. There is knowledge of the need of a change. There's knowledge of the need of their wickedness. There is a knowledge of the of, of, of not the need of their wickedness of, of the fact that they are wicked. There is knowledge of their situation. Listen to what the Bible said. Let man and beast be covered. Let, let us know this, that we are sinners. Let us know this, the only hope that there is to the Lord Jesus. Let us know this, the only hope that there is around about our land and country today. A friend is God Almighty doing a work. And I tell you, that work will have to begin with, begin with a Josiah. It'll have to begin with a message from God. It'll have to begin with a me. It'll have to begin with you. Judgment will have to begin down at the house of God. It'll have to begin like that. And friend, if you and I are unwilling to acknowledge our need, our sin, our evil, what can we expect? You can expect no more yet. We're hardened today. By the wickedness. You know what the Bible says in Matthew 24 or 25? Because iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. You talk about iniquity abounding, lawlessness, ungodliness promoted on every side, everywhere you look is wickedness and ungodliness and absolute rebellion to the Word of God and people want to justify their self in what they're doing. I'll tell you this, until there's an acknowledgement and an admittance and I'll tell you when the Word of God comes, if we don't move to that, know this, that judgment is coming. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. I tell you, you talk about an earnestness and an urgency. I mean, the king is going to tell everybody. Everybody in his kingdom is included in this mandate. Everybody in the king. Isn't that something? 
You know what we heard a couple of years ago, two or three years ago? We got a mandate from the government. We got a mandate from the governor. We got a mandate from the president. Isn't it amazing, friend, how the United States of America, our friend, adhered to the mandate? Isn't it amazing how many people adhered to the mandate? And you know what? Our friend, God gives a mandate. And man ignores it. Man expects God, a friend, to change the rules. God is not going to change the rule, a friend, if there's any revival, if there's any mercy, if there's any grace, it'll be in that little period of between yet and 40 days. I tell you, I believe the king was serious, earnest, urgent, serious. He realized their sin. He realized their wickedness. He realized they were in opposition not only to God, but even to other people. They were totally in opposition out of the kindness, the graciousness. Our friend, man, man is always trying to justify himself in the way he does. But the king came down. And the king proclaimed a fast. And he said, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily. Cry with a great urgency. Cry with a great earnestness. Cry unto God. I mean, what do you think it means when he says cry mightily? Do you think it's something besides loud? Could it be something that comes from within? Could the might, could the might, I don't believe it's the voice. Hannah prayed, God heard her. No voice. Even Eli sitting there next to the column, to the pillar. He didn't hear her, but God heard her. Where does it have to originate? It must originate from the heart. There must be a great need. There must be a great fear. There must be a, a great urgency. There must be a great earnestness. There must be a truthfulness out from within how that would get the attention of God. Cry mightily unto this God. Cry mightily. Let beasts be covered. Sackcloth, cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn. Listen to this. Let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that's in their hand. Are they guilty? Are they wrong? Are they cruel? Are they ungodly? You know what he's doing? He's admitting it. He's saying we're like this. Oh God, let's turn. Maybe it would be that God would turn away from His vengeance if we would turn. According to Joel, according to the New Testament, according to the Bible as a whole, He'll do that. That's the kind of God we've got. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not? Who can tell? We ought to be able to tell. 
He will. He will. You turn. You repent. You believe the gospel. You'll have the mercy of God. You turn from your wicked way. You turn from the evil and the violence that's in your hand. You turn from the ungodliness. He will. Who can tell? I tell you, I can tell, and you can tell, and the Bible tells, and Jesus told, and Paul told, and Luke told, and John told, and, 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 and John the Baptist told, and John the Apostle told, and, and Peter told, uh, friend, and Paul told, and friend Philemon told what God had done for him back to Onesimus. I tell you, who can tell? We can tell. What's it dependent upon? It's dependent upon my actions to the Word of God. Who can tell? And God saw their works. Now, did God know what was going to happen? Does God know whether it's real or not? Does God know whether it's a show or it's the real thing? And God saw their works. Where did God look? Did he look at the ash pile? Did he look at the king coming off of the throne? No, I tell you, God looked down in the heart. God looked into the heart. Uh, Samuel said, God, uh, the Lord said unto God, he said, uh, God looketh upon the heart. Man, Samuel, you're looking on the outside. You look at alive and you say, well, there's another one. He's about as big as Saul. That'll be a good one, won't it? We want another Saul? No, I tell you, God's looking at the heart. God's looking to see what's really inside a man. And God saw. God saw. This is what the book says. And God saw their works, their deeds, their actions. That they turned. What does that word? What's a synonym for turned? Repent? Isn't that... Isn't that a synonym? Turn back. Repent. So God saw that they turned from their evil way. God repented of the evil that He said He would do unto them, and He did it not. So let's deal with this repentance of God. So the word here in verse 10 means to console oneself. To be appeased. To have pity or have compassion on others. Now in Numbers chapter 23, the Bible says in verse 19, God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do? Well, preacher, now that's in contradiction to what he said in Jonah chapter number 3. Except for that little word, yet. Except that repent in Jonah chapter 3 means that God consoled himself, that God was appeased, that God had compassion. God was appeased and God was consoled with a change. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. 
Hath he said, and shall he not do? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make good? Is God immutable? Does the Bible say that God is immutable? The Bible said God is immutable. God is unchangeable. So, an unchanging, God is unchanging over time and over circumstance. God is perfect in every way. God is perfect and changes not His oath or His promise. He doesn't change. You know, I may make promises and you may make promises. And the people of Nineveh made, prom- Nineveh made promises. And that lasted somewhere, somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 100 or 150 years that they held it. God's not going to change His mind. So the Bible says, uh, that what is man? Is, is God is not a man that He should lie or that He should repent. So I believe you could say this, that God does not change His counsel or His purpose. Uh, He does not change His mind. He only changes His ways of dealing with man. You know, because God told me I was going to die and go to hell, I believe that Word of God, the Holy Spirit came and spoke to me and drew me. I repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. God didn't change His mind. God changed His ways of dealing with me because of what happened with me. If I had not repented, I could be, would be, or would be in the future lifting my eyes in hell. But you see, God knew. God knew what His own actions were going to bring to pass. If you'd read with me in Luke chapter number 13. Luke chapter 13. You know, Jesus is speaking about the Galileans whose Pilate mingled their blood with their sacrifices. There was a, a tower that fell and killed a bunch of people. And, and, and Jesus said, Suppose ye that these people, these Galileans, 13-2, were sinners above all Galileans. I mean, we look and we see people and some great tragedy happens to them. We think, man, they must have been some awful, awful sinners. Nineveh had some awful, awful sinners in it. But you know, God was merciful. God was long-suffering. God sent them a word that changed them. But listen to these words. Luke chapter 13, verse 2, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You know what that says to me? That if I repent, I'm not going to die like that. Now they died. And maybe they died in a manner that people thought it was... They really, really must have been 
notorious sinners because they died like that. Let me ask you, does it matter how I die if I die without God? What's the end result if I die without God? Is it not eternity and hell separated from God? Is that not the end? But there is a means, there, there is a means for me to escape that. You know, Jesus died for the whole world, is what the book of First John says. But let me ask you this. Could it be that that Scripture means that He's the only means of salvation for anybody in the world? Does that mean that Jesus died for every individual that has ever been born into the world? He's going to have to back up on uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, isn't he? Going to have to back up on the Philistines that he destroyed. Going to have to back up on all them ites. I'll tell you what he is. He's the only Savior for the whole world. Repentance is the only means for God to withdraw His judgment on Nineveh. Repentance is the only means for God to withdraw His judgment upon me or upon you. There's no other way but through in my repentance and believing the Word of God. But they believed it. And God saw it and it was real. So, is God changing His mind? How can a God who is perfect change His mind? How would any, any, you know, by the emotions, by what other people do, I may change my mind. But you see, what we're seeing is humanistic speaking language attributed to God that we could understand it. The Bible says God does not change, that He's immutable, that He's not a man that He can repent. We're going to have to reconcile that with this Scripture. Okay? Read with me one more time over in the book of Genesis. The Bible said in the book of Genesis, chapter number 6 and verse number 6, it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth and it grieved Him at His heart. When God saw the evil, the corruption, the wickedness, the vileness, the sinfulness, the injury, the displeasure. I tell you what that is. A friend, that is a humanistic view. A friend of what God, how God views. You know, it, 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 it isn't this, isn't this true that little children may watch a cartoon and an animal may have a human face on it. A train may have a human face on it. You know what they're doing? They're using those things that are inanimate. They're using those things that are like, that have, they're not human, but they've got human characteristics and attributes attributed to them. Does God have feet? Does God have hands? God is a spirit, right? But we read that His feet were likened unto brass burned in a furnace. His eyes were like a flaming fire. What's He doing? He's given us human language to derive, to describe the attributes of God. What's the story? The story is God knew the end 
of his actions when he sent Jonah to Nineveh. Nineveh repented, and Nineveh turned away from evil, and Nineveh turned away from violence, and God repented. It doesn't mean what we think. It means that God was satisfied with their actions. God was consoled with that. God had pity upon them. But I want us to look in the book of Matthew for just a moment. Matthew, for just just a minute. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. The Bible said this, that the men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment of this generation and shall condemn it because they're repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. I ask you this. Is there someone greater than Jonah? Look at the willingness of the Lord Jesus Christ over Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go. Is there a greater in willingness? Is there a greater in God's willingness to send His Son? Is there a... And listen, Jonah went down there to condemn him. Jonah went down there to damn him. I'll tell you what the Lord came to do. The Lord came to save us. The Lord came to forgive us. Friend, there's a greater than Jonah here today. You know, Jonah, look look at his audience. 600,000 people thereabouts. Look at the audience the Lord has come to. Has he got a greater audience? Has the Word of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and yet the yet of God? We know that judgment is coming yet. You know who that's included? The whole world. A friend, whosoever will. Anybody that will believe it. Anybody that will be touched by it. Anybody that will be moved on. Anybody that will be willing to repent. Thank God we've got a greater than Jonah. He came and spoke to the whole world. Jonah's resurrection brought him to a place that he was going to declare judgment upon the Ninevites. Jesus Christ's resurrection brought me to a place of justification, sanctification, glorification, forgiveness of my sin, right with God. Praise God, there's a greater than Jonah here. Look at his garment. You know what the king did? He took off his garment of being a king in a wicked nation. Laid that off and put on sackcloth. You know what the Lord gave me? Praise God, Jonah's message brought sackcloth for a covering. The message of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave me a garment of righteousness. Gave me a garment of praise. Gave me something that I could say, thank God there's a greater than Jonah here today. I'll tell you, thank God I'm clothed today in the righteousness of the Son of God. There's a greater than Jonah today. They repented. By the preaching of Nahum, 
like it went back. What Jesus gave to me, I can never go back to. I can never ever go back to what I was. Thank God through what He did. He made me a child of God. He made me a new creature. I shall never, ever, ever go back to what I was. Never went back to what they were. And maybe even became more wicked than ever before. But what God did for me through the preaching of the Gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ, I shall never go back. Isn't that greater than Jonah? Listen to what the book says in 41. 13.41 The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. I'm sorry that people can't enjoy the goodness of God. The men of Nineveh are going to rise up and condemn. I, I, I believe we could say this. This generation. Not just 33 AD generation. 2024 generation. The men of Nineveh are going to rise up in the judgment and condemn the generation that is living in 2024 because there's a greater than Jonah here. A friend, the Ninevites are going to rise up in the judgment because they repented. A friend, I'll tell you who's going to rise up in the judgment for me. Praise God, I've got an advocate. I've got one greater than the Ninevites, one greater than Jonah. A friend, I've got one who is my advocate. One who is my propitiation. One who is my stand-in. One who is my intercessor. Praise God, there's a greater than Jonah. I'm sanctified, justified, glorified by Him. In time, because I believed the Word of God and I repented. Not without that. Not without that for you. You like to see a turning, a revival, a moving of God. I believe it'll begin right here. I believe it'll begin like Josiah. I believe it'll begin by that Word of God affecting. When he read it, here's Jonah preaching it. Everybody. The whole outfit was affected. And the whole outfit for three and a half to four generations. Really, it was a hundred years after that before judgment actually come. In 612, judgment actually come. But that revival had an effect for at least three to four generations.